Are you interested in Christian education? Would you like to learn how to be a Christian teacher or how to run your very own Christian school with success? The GCS Apprenticeship Program can help. Learn more on our website at gcsapprenticeship.com. Reconstructionist Radio presents The War Room, where we discuss tactics for strategic Christian living. This is Bill Evans. I'm with Mike and Carol Brabo at Vesterbrook Farms in Clarksville, Missouri. Wanted to take the opportunity to meet the Bravos. We just had a really delicious meal. Anyway, they've got a they've got about 24, 25 acres of once thriving organic farmland with complete with chickens and 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 sheep and hogs and four greenhouses and bad neighbors. Many of you have heard that part of their story. If not, you should check out Vesterbrook Farms on Facebook. I first met Mike through the documentary Gone Off the Grid. And uh, before then, I had no idea who he was. I didn't know Jason. I still need to get by Jason's new homestead in Virginia. We had a very poor connection the day that... I interviewed him about the documentary, but if you haven't watched it, watch it. There's some all good reconstructionist brothers in there and some valuable skills. Michael Bunker, Jason Matthias, Jeffrey Botkin, Noah Sanders, uh, Mike Bravo, just to name a few. But we're here tonight. We're talking about their time in foreign missions. And, uh, that we just got to the part, and when I reached for the microphone, I said, we've got to get this, uh, and we'll ask some tactical questions, um, because, Mike, you had a career, we have already, uh, we've already addressed this, that you had a career uh, in California, living in, living in Santa Cruz, which is really a pretty area. Yeah, Silicon Valley. Silicon Valley. You were right down the road from uh, uh, Andrea Schwartz, did you know? Uh, did you know Rush Denny was a pastor in... Santa Cruz? I, I heard about it later. We left that area in 1991. Okay. and But you were in sales in uh, in the high-flying world of Silicon Valley, living the good life. It was the Wild West in the, uh, in the 80s. Okay. Uh, were you driving a Beamer? Uh, my first car was a Porsche. Okay. Anyway, so, but from there, now, you, were, were you raised, did you come from Christian... Homes. No, I was born and raised in Chicago. Okay, and your father was a pretty successful mechanical engineer. He was an entrepreneur. Yes. Kind of a self-made man uh, who is responsible for this considerable piece of property here. The the this the the home uh, is is really set up more like a Christian conference center or a 
bed and breakfast in in a respect. It's uh, it's a pretty impressive home uh, in terms of its layout and the accoutrements that they have. But that's another story. Uh, if you want to come and visit uh, the the and watch the flight of the eagles, isn't that Clarksville? Is there... the eagles have now dispersed for the winter, uh, spring, but uh, lots of eagles in the winter time. Over our farm, also. Yeah, this is uh, Clarksville. Is is it the highest point on the Mississippi? The bluff is above the city. Yeah, uh, it's a small little village right on the Upper Mississippi River, yeah. uh, about uh, about nine miles from St. Louis. Uh, yeah, from downtown. Yeah. Anyway, but we just got over to the part where Carol and Mike had uh, were in prep, were planning to buy a printing company. Were you still living in California? Yes. But you uh, got a call to, and you sampled a week a, a week long sort of introduction to missions. Yeah, with an international organization. Now, uh, uh, Carol is is deaf, and so you all speak sign language and have a, a burden for reaching the deaf. Is that correct? Right. Yes. All right. I, I'm about the teacher for deaf children. Okay, and I guess everywhere you've ever gone, you've always been asked to sign for the, the, that's, you're the person who always does that, but you went to Romania. Yeah, I'll kind of, maybe I'll start that story. Um, The pastor who married Carol and I in 1990, he was, had become president of a mission organization and he radically changed the organization to uh, focus on training and preparing second degree, uh, second um, career people. Because they were finding that the young people who are coming out of seminary, going into missions, they were getting to the missions field and they're crashing and burning. Because they don't have the practical life skills or proven ministry skills. Um, And when they're tossed into the the pot of of living cross-culturally and dealing with um, language and culture, the spiritual warfare... um, the success rate or the washout rate was quite high. So our organization uh, basically revamped all of their their training to focus on second career um, individuals and to make it as difficult as possible so that they could screen out as many people as possible before they would get to the mission field. Because I think at the time, in the early 90s, I think it was close to $200,000 to prepare and get a missionary to the field. Now, you mentioned that um, you first came upon or first became aware of what we refer to as a faith for all of life, so to speak, while right. you were in Romania. Was this was this uh, the MO? Was this the, 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 the biblical worldview of this particular mission agency? In um, part of that agency which is now called Equip International. Uh, It was a Presbyterian minister uh, who is Canadian who had worked in Vietnam until the last week. Saigon fell. Then he went to Korea 
before he came back to the States to train missionaries, that was his perspective. And God used him to really work in our hearts to um, address ministry to the poor and to the widows and that the church needs to be involved in ministering in every area of life. And so that was foundational to our training. Um, we raised support and uh, as, as, quote, faith missionaries, and uh, we arrived in Romania. That means begging minis- missionaries. Yes, begging missionaries uh, in homes and in churches. Uh, we visited Romania in 92. Um, we moved there in 93. When did Ceausescu... Ceausescu, uh, he, he kneeled before Christ on Christmas Day, eight, uh, 89, when he and his wife were executed. Um, it was a great day of rejoicing uh, for the Christians of Romania. Um, unfortunately, the churches and most of the American missionaries going over, um, it was a season of large crusades. Get as many people to come to crusades, have them f- come walk down the aisle, fill out a 3 by 5 card, fill out the 3 by 5 card, and they have their ticket to heaven. Now you had tens if not hundreds of thousands of people, both those who could hear and those who are deaf, who uh, are now inoculated against the gospel. And I, you know, I mentioned earlier a uh, considerable amount, 20-25% of our time uh, while we were there was spent cleaning up the mess of short-term foreigners coming over and causing havoc but you have to get them. You have to get them unsaved, so you can get them properly converted. Yeah, and so it it they really were inoculated against the gospel, and uh, because the gospel, you know, still I vividly remember um, the vice president of a deaf association tell me, you know, I prayed with American pastor so and so, and I have my ticket to heaven. I don't need to go to church. I don't need to change anything. I'm I'm good. I'm good to go. And I left the deaf association building weeping that apart from God opening his eyes and and this was this was the the conditions we were in and preaching Christ and him crucified getting decisions for Christ Converting all of these Orthodox people that they need to be immersed, um, that was the focus. And, and it, it was wholly uh, uh, unable to do the job. And so some friends sent us, uh, uh, one friend sent us a book from the States, uh, The Gospel According to Jesus, John MacArthur, who had been my wife's pastor. She was part of his church for 12 years. And so there were some good things. Um, you know, we've kind of moved beyond uh, Dr. MacArthur's views. Um, but it was part of a stepping stone as we became reformed in our thought and thinking and our soteriology, ecclesiology. Um, and what did it practically mean? Uh, one of the things that we were doing is... is um, 
micro-enterprise because when commu in, under communism, everyone had a job. All the disabled uh, who could work had jobs. Even the gypsies were given sticks with uh, um, plywood, and, and they would clear three-lane boulevards in the large cities using sticks and, and plywood to push the snow off the boulevards. And they got a paycheck every month. And when communism fell, all of the all of those jobs went away, and there was there was eighty ninety percent unemployment in the deaf community. So very quickly, we needed to find ways to train and equip the believers who were faithful in how to provide for their families. So the what did you do? Um, we set up um, gar uh, vegetable gardens. We set up. Um, Breeding and raising rabbits, selling both meat and pelts. The pelts are very popular for making uh, hats and, and gloves in Romania. And uh, I think another one was uh, a specialty type of goat. And there are things that were that didn't require the use of a telephone, so that deaf individuals would be able to to do that. Now, um, now what? How did you get? Was that your first exposure? To agriculture, or had you? No, I, I grew up gardening in, you know, in California. Um, grew up gardening, involved with growing things. Our whole backyard was pretty growing you're, up. So you're native Californian as native well? Native Californian. Where, where from? Uh, San Jose. Okay, and, that's and, where Andrea is. Yeah, and where I, where I, when I grew up, you know, in the 60s. Uh, Jason Matthias also grew up out there, didn't yeah, he? Yeah, well, I think he was born there. But... Surrounding our subdivision, it was all plum orchards. And then now that's all Silicon Valley, in mostly Intel, those were all Japanese greenhouses with flowers in them. Mm. And Santa Clara Valley was the prune capital of the world. No, I, we often go, uh, I'll go up to um, uh, Santa Maria. Right. Are Salinas, uh -huh, Salinas. And, and there's a huge amount of agriculture, vegetables right. and fruit. Uh, at one time, the entire uh, San Joaquin Valley, I guess is what they call it, was just covered with large coolers where trailer trucks would be loading up produce yeah. around the clock. And, of course, it's, after the drought, a lot of that dissipated. It, it, and, a lot of it's come back. But so. it has come. I, I have noticed that the, 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 the back... And, and who can understand? It's certainly not because uh, California repented. They didn't have a revival that I heard of. So. You know what? We'll save that for another war room discussion. Yeah. The issue of uh, food security for God's people. Well, that's an important tactical issue for sure. But uh, so you, well, let's finish up. You presumably left Romania, but you've had other... Uh, in interaction with other mission agencies or other right. na we've, nations? We've done uh, consulting work with Wycliffe. Um, we've, we've worked with an organization that provided captions for biblical uh, content, uh, a uh, video Bible translation of the book of Matthew. We did all the captioning for that. and But our heart was with really focused on discipleship and church planting, training, equipping, deaf pastors, getting them the resources for establishing indigenous uh, deaf churches. 
what happens is um, if you have a large organization, like let's say uh, League Inner Ministry, and they have 3,000 people come to the, the conference, they will have two or three interpreters. And, and for a number of years, I was one of those interpreters on the team. Um, I was mentored by a, a, a dear brother who is just so gifted, um, um, Chuck Snyder, who's still working with Ligonier uh, in that respect. Well, let, me, let me stop it there. How large is the deaf population? Well, in general, about 1%, although that, that use sign language. Although 10% of people in general have some form of hearing impairment. So 10% of the overall population. Yeah. But that can be grandma who's lost, who's yeah. 90 years old and who can't hear. Right. But those who are, are what we call culturally deaf that use ASL as a primary form of communication, uh, it's, it's maybe about 1%. Okay. So, you know, it, it's quite it's quite a large community. It's often recognized as one of the largest unreached people groups. Because if you're walking down a street and you pass a thousand people on the street, if someone is blind and has a cane or a dog or they're in a wheelchair, those disabilities are, are visible. Someone who is is deaf, unless you try to communicate with them, you would never know. So that kind of leads to one of the other organizations that we work with um, um, occasionally was Johnny and Friends, Johnny Exentata. Um, Worked with them both in Romania and here in the U.S. on different projects. And I would often, uh, when Johnny would come to the Chicago area, I would be her, in, her interpreter. And uh, Carol has known Johnny and her husband since before they were married. And uh, so we've had a long-standing relationship with them. And as we got back into church planting, we were used to work with, um, uh, we started connecting up with a group of deaf pastors and elders who were reformed and who were part of the RCUS, the Reformed Church in the United States. Um, they're a very, uh, they're only about maybe 30 churches in the whole country. They're actually the oldest still functioning denomination in the U.S. I think they just had their 261st synod. And, uh, you know, they're the old German Reformed. Uh, they hold to the three forms of unity, the Belgian Confession, the Canons of Dort, and the Heidelberg Catechism. And it was through interpreting for deaf elders and pastors uh, for their presbytery, their classes meetings or synod, I was exposed and basically uh, challenged um, – you know, at that point, I would probably label myself more of a Reformed Baptist, and they started challenging me with the Word of God and showing me this is what faith for all of life looks like. And uh, so we made that transition. I think I was ordained in the RCUS as an elder um, about 15 years ago, and in the mix of all that, um, I was diagnosed with malignant thyroid cancer 
and then two heart attacks. And Carol, at that time, around that time, when we were we were now back in the states, uh, Carol was having health issues also, and we just could not afford going to alternative cancer clinics that weren't covered by insurance. Basically, we used nutritional therapy. And uh, fast forward a couple years into that, and um, my father-in-law approached us and said, what are you kids? You know, when you're in your late 40s, but when you're in your 80s, you can call me a kid. You know, what do you, what do you want to do with the family farm down in Missouri? So in 2006, we came down here, and we really had a vision to establish a CR type community of like-minded reformed um, individuals, homeschooling families that had similar convictions uh, and it has been a real challenge. Now how did you meet the other individuals who were also featured in the documentary Beyond Off Grid? Is it beyond off grid or beyond beyond off grid? Uh, beyond beyond, beyond off grid. Right. Um, we started following um, Michael. Michael Bunker. Uh, goodness, I don't know, maybe fifteen years ago, before we ever moved to the farm, and is he sort of a luddite? You know, he's not. <laughs> I'm just you kidding. know, he, he he's really not. He's one of the most well read. Persons I know. No, I've met I've met Michael oh, and uh, okay. and Danielle there okay. in uh, okay. Santa Ana, Texas. And he, um, it's interesting. I enjoy talking to him. He is he's, he he comes across as being sort of a curmudgeon, but he's actually very uh, convivial and and oh, yeah. uh, and congenial. Great, uh, great sense, great sense yeah. of humor. He's made some decisions. You know he. Uh, well, I, had, he, I had no idea that he actually had a somewhat prolific career as a pastor and whatever missionary in in the in the uh, ministerial industrial complex. Okay. And Carol and I were involved with the ministerial industrial complex for about seventeen years. So, were you following him via email, via newsletters? Uh, emails, reading some of his early books, um, email newsletters. I think uh, you know. I guess maybe now. Now today, he's predominantly a, a fiction writer, correct? Right. Although he does, he is doing some. I think he's publishing something, uh, commentary on the Book of Genesis, and so. Well, if nobody knows who you are, I wonder who's going to buy it. But you right. know, I think he, he has right. a. I think he has a an exposure problem right now. Well, but uh, but the question is, is now, so he was representative, or maybe sort of, whereas James Wesley Rawls is like maybe considered the godfather of the uh, prepper movement. Uh, Michael Bunker's can, would be considered sort of the godfather of the homesteader movement. Um, I think he's definitely had an impact. Um, he, I think he, there's not many people who have thought through the, the cultural 
sociological and biblical influences to the level that Michael has. And I appreciate that about him. He has insights into our culture that many people do not. Um, it, what's interesting, um, I, I see similarities between uh, uh, Bo Marinoff and Michael Bunker in that the levels that they're thinking and they're uh, they're looking. Yeah, they're at playing the three-dimensional chess. They're playing three-dimensional chess. Right. And and uh, you know, I once want to get out of the one-dimensional, move into the two, but they're on a whole other well, level. I, I've heard and people. I've heard reconstructionists when when things are moving along, when the electrical grid's still up, and you can still go buy uh, food at Walmart, and and you can still put your ATM card or your debit card into the fuel pump and get gasoline, then people who live like Michael Bunker seem like fanatics. Right. In the event that we have a worst case scenario, for that matter, even a very not unlikely scenario of, uh, and we, we can put it under the umbrella of judgment, but pneumatic earthquake, uh, EMP, uh, volcano in the northwest. Solar flare. Anything that basically in impacts the electrical grid so that it damages a portion of it are the new matter earthquakes my favorite my favorite catastrophe uh because i grew up on the new madrid it's here in southern missouri uh, yeah. new madrid this Falls. this home was reconstructed with that in mind well it should be because you've got the illinois river right up here and that's part of the wabash fault i think but anyway bottom line is is if that were to happen and a very likely scenario befall us, then Michael Bunker looks like one of the smartest people on the planet. Exactly. There's not a lot of... Um, part of the what drew us to the CR movement, um, it, it sort of makes me want to weep, but it also makes me laugh. About uh, eight years ago, I was at a farmer's market, and we had a we had tables full of beautiful vegetables. And a lady with a Jesus is Lord shirt who weighed about 300 pounds comes walking by the table. Right behind her is her husband and he's at least 350. And then there's, there's some young teenagers, tween aged kids. And each of these kids are like 180 to 220 pounds. And so I call out to them. I have my, my young son. Uh, he was probably about 15 at the time. You know, he's thin as a rail. And I look at him. He looks at me, raises his eyebrows. He's like, go for it, Dad. And, I, and so I called out to them. And I said, um, we have wonderful vegetables for your family. And the lady stopped and she turned to me and said, we're not here for that stuff. I want the Amish baked goods, which is the vendor right next to me. So they bought a they bought fifteen twenty dollars worth of of white flour, white sugar, um, goods from the Amish, and then they turn around to leave. And I asked them. I said, uh, um, "Can I send you home with some some vegetables? Would you like some vegetables to go with your your baked goods?" And she said, well, we have no more money. And I said, I'll send them home free. 
And I said, I'm concerned about your testimony. You're wearing a shirt that indicates Jesus is Lord. And I think one of the children had a Jesus t-shirt. And it was one of those uh, moments when the light bulb went on. She says to me, I don't care what I eat because Jesus is coming soon and I'm going to get raptured and I'm leaving this body behind and he's given me a brand new perfect body. And it's like, you know what? Her faith is worthless. And I wept because here is a typical American evangelical who does not have a faith for all of life. It's ease and jellyful. <laughs> the pauses I'm translating sign language for Carol. Um, she's smiling and nodding. Uh, and so interacting with, with various brothers, I think I first, uh, six, seven years ago, I came across uh, some of Bo Marinov's writings and comments and I just started interacting more. Uh, then I met Jason Matthias and uh, just started moving more in those directions. And I'm very thankful for the last decade we've been here at the farm because in God's providence, it's given me uh, insights into um, the challenges that are before us. And... But even more so, the opportunities. The only people who have the answers going forward are the Christian Reconstructionists. And here in, the, in our community, which is mostly non-CR type folks, <laughs> if, if the crap hit the fan... I would have to be worried about these other people coming and stealing. Yeah, that's why you need a. Uh, that's why you need a battle rifle, Mike. But uh, <laughs> you need something with a high capacity magazine, and it's not for law enforcement. They'll be home taking care of their families. It's for your neighbors who are looking. Uh, why? Why? Why I wear bibs? I got you. Uh, well, anyway, we can talk about that in another tactical episode, but you can't defend liberty with a handgun. Your handgun, the purpose of the handgun is to fight your way to your rifle. Anyway, that's that's an inside. Uh, but, um, well, that, that that's true of, of, of most Christian Reconstructionists, too, too, Mike. I mean, Joe Salant and I did an episode, uh, just a quick flashback. We mentioned the fact that 20 six years ago or however many years ago it was, Francis Schaeffer asked the question, how shall we then live? And the church basically said, mm, pretty much like we always have. And then a few years ago, abolitionists uh, calling for the uh, uh, the uh, elimination of human abortion said, what does it look like to be a Christian in a nation that practices child sacrifice? And again, the church basically responded with crickets. I said, so today... Perhaps the question we need to pose is what does it look like to be a Christian in a nation under divine judgment? Amen. Judgment, um, I don't speak of this um, often, 
but we harvest as a nation, we harvest and export tens if not hundreds of millions of tons of food between genetic modification and the changing and breeding of, uh, take corn for example. There's some varieties of corn in the mountains of Mexico that are like 14 to 16% protein. It's a whole food. Here in our region, we have Ladonia, about 35 miles from us, is one of the biggest ethanol plants in the Midwest. Protein is a waste product. They want, they have bred corn that's 2 to 3% protein. And so that it can be used for ethanol or it can be used for agri- uh, animal feed or it can go into your cornflakes or your Doritos chips. Now the problem is 20 years ago, your Dorito chips and, and your, your uh, cornflakes still had a reasonable amount of protein in it. Today, you know, let's say 20 years ago, you had to eat to get enough protein to live on. You had to eat, say, three bowls of cereal. Okay. Today, you have to eat 15 bowls of cereal today to get the same amount of protein. So what is the result because of all the carbs? Now we have type 2 diabetes and obesity is epidemic. And this is, I've learned this from the doctors and medical clinics that we have worked with and that we have served when we were. Uh, well, now the moral of the story is now, again, now Mike and Carol are organic farmers or have been certainly for the last 10 or so years and they you've been consciously producing high quality uh, nutritionally laden food uh there's probably a term for it's been organic food but it's it's specifically rich in nutrition uh the problem is is that there are not enough people doing what you've been doing to feed the population of this country. The sad truth is, and this is not to take anything away from your business because people have given the choice and if they have the discretion and the, uh, the income to afford to buy n- nutritionally dense, healthy, organic food, they will, especially if they work for Big Pharma uh, and they're aware of the poison uh, in the food uh, chain. But the fact is, is that if you don't, you, it's impossible today for the average American to eat right. He can, you cannot uh, acquire, you cannot get the nutrition that you need from buying processed supermarket packaged food. And so unless you are growing food, and, 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 and there's a whole lot that goes into protecting the the food chain between the the, the quality of the of the ground and then uh, because if the nutrition if the if the minerals if the nutrition is not in the dirt depleted, it's not in the food it's not in the dirt it's not in the food and uh, it's not and not in your beef. so so this is not a plug for uh, any of those nutritional companies but certainly I think it's a, it's a pretty much a given that if you're not uh, taking supplements, um, your body doesn't have what it needs 
to keep itself healthy. And everywhere I look, people are sick and they're sick because they are what they eat. And I don't, and we've said this many times on the war room is that, that there's nothing more tactical than being alive and healthy. It doesn't matter how gifted you are. It doesn't matter how uh, godly you are. When you're sick, you're out of the fight. Right. So, uh, anyway, you brought, you brought up, uh, the issue of supplements. In our culture today, supplements are a given. And, and most people don't even think, what does the word even mean? If you have to take little pills to augment the food you're eating, to supplement the food you're eating, that's a cost. If we turned no one away. We served a lot of Christian families. Some were CR, most were homeschool families. And even, even with uh, single income families, they may, now they didn't have, you know, a 58 inch TV. You know, each one of their teenagers didn't have an iPhone. They were driving, you know, a 20 year old van. Um, to guarantee the health of their family, they sacrificed and did what it took and had their own gardens. They sacrificed to ensure that themselves and their children would have the nutritional benefit um, for future generations. And, you know, that the saying that you mentioned, you are what you eat. Also, you are what you eat eats. So if you're eating beef that has been fed crap, mm -hmm. you are getting, um, you're spending this money, you're not getting a nutritional benefit out of it. That's why you can get a good cut of 100% grass-fed beef and you can be satisfied with a four and a half, five ounce steak. You don't need a 16 ounce steak. That's that's one third fat. That's mostly um, in, in it's saturated with unhealthy fats. Whereas grass fed beef is high in omega threes. So you don't you get that type of beef. You don't have to buy the omega three. Why capsules. don't uh, Why don't uh, Christian fellowships who have property? They have a building. They have a half an acre or whatever. Why do they have lawns? You know, that's been one of the things that's been on my heart and my passion. And um, there's someone, a, a probably internationally famous Reformed pastor, um, and his congregation bought land. And he was, we were at a conference, and uh, a homeschool conference, and we sat down at lunch. And with a napkin, I calculated out that his congregation was spending, I think, $1.7 million a year on food based on the number he told me what the average family in his congregation spends on food. And I explained to him, with the amount of acreage you have, you could produce close to a million dollars worth of food on that church property. And I said to him, 
when you build out your church, put in a 50 foot by 40 foot kitchen that could handle 25, 30 people working in it. And so that when you have half an acre of green beans that are ready, you go out with 50, 60 people, you harvest it in a couple hours, you bring it in and you either flash freeze it or can it and you share the harvest. And now all of a sudden, and then I explained how you can have some families who are doing beef, some families who are doing... So Here's the $63,000 $63, question. Did he catch the vision? No, he did not. I followed up with him. He says, I need to talk to the elders. And the elders, um, the response I got back was, they don't want to make the change. They don't want to lose the convenience. They, the assumption is, Carol and I, before Carol and I, growing up, even, even Silicon Valley, before it was wealthy and famous, you can get any kind of produce any time of year. When we were in Romania, post-communist era, during the uh, Bosnian War, where there's rationing, there's no fuel in a city of a quarter million people for six weeks. You're walking everywhere. The grocery stores, the shelves are empty. There's no food, unless you're getting it on the black market, which we learned how to use. Um, the average American has no framework to even contemplate what that looks like. In God's providence, Carol and I have seen and lived that, so that America would consume itself. It'd be pandemonium. People would be in the streets begging for a government cheese within about 72 hours. It'll be worse than that. You don't want to be anywhere near a city. Well, not, I, only, not only because of the death, but because of the, because of the results of the death. I mean, you'll have mass um, infection. I mean, the bacteria... The, the 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 vermin, the decay, uh, you know, people who don't understand anything about um, ozone are about having safe water supplies. Um, they're wholly unprepared. The loss of life in the United States would be in the 80 plus... 90%. Yeah. And so... I have spoken with different churches that have two, three, four acres of grass. They spend hundreds of dollars a month mowing the grass. And like put fencing up, put some sheep out there. So at least, you know, the past and the elders, you know, in your parking lot, put in grapevines and fruit trees. It's image. It's image. Well, well, it's just, again, you know, listen, that, uh, us taking shots at the failed, uh, the failed ecclesiological model or ecclesiastical model in the United States. That's a pretty common theme on Reconstructionist Radio. But uh, and and I, well, I'd love to get in a group of guys who have the vision and and to talk about these are some models that will work that will be able to provide single income. Christian families with the best possible food out there. Because one of the things, um, I'm going to pause for a second. Okay. 
we have children. We have a son that's 25 and a daughter that's 23 who was recently married. One of the things that, you know, when you and I, uh, Bill, were young, um, fertility problems was not a big issue. Today, fertility is a big issue. And one of the things is, is our experience with animal husbandry. If the animals are not getting a proper, sufficient uh, nutrition, their fertility drops. The same thing happens with human beings. And we're seeing, um, in a lot of cases, Christian Reformed young couples who that Carol, my wife and I have seen um, some couples who young couples who grew up with large gardens and they ate healthy, they get married and a year later they have their first child. Whereas other couples where where you see the young man and you know he's always sucking on Mountain Dews, um, you know three four years go by before they finally conceive. Well. Diet matters, and exactly what you said, if people are taken out of the battle because of poor nutrition, they're a casualty. And we need to remember something that Franklin, that Benjamin Franklin first said, and that is an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure. A lot of times people think, they don't think about these corrective, they think about good nutrition as a corrective, when they've already been diagnosed with diabetes or cancer or they have some other neurological or physiological problem. And people say, well, the fact is, is that if you practice good nutrition, if you have a, you use purified water, I would even say if you bathe in water where it's had the heavy metals and the yeah. chlorine and the trichlor ethylenes and trihalomethylenes taken right. out of the exactly. water th- because your bu- your skin is basically a living tissue and you absorb as many chemicals in the course of an average shower than if you drank a quarter of, of tap water. So, But the point is, is that water is the major component of our body. So your, our health is important and you, you don't really value it until you don't have it anymore. But going back to the homestead movement, and let me ask you this question. Are there any plans for Jason and Matthias and yourself and others that were part of the original documentary to have any sort of an online academy and our uh, online conference for people who want to get back to uh, the earth and be and and practice covenantal faithfulness by being prepared to uh, meet the needs of your family? And the community, the the poor, the widows, the orphans. Um, If we went that direction because of the unique giftedness that Carol and I have, uh, anything that we would put online would be in sign language. We'd probably go to the expanse and have voiceovers. There's all kinds of... Is there a Homesteader magazine? um, well, there's uh, Mother Earth News, well, Mother, Mother Jones, Earth News, Mother, and Mother Jones. There's also uh, Backwoods Home. Um, I've subscribed to that for decades. But they're not faith for all of life. No, no. The, here, here's the challenge, and this is again the, the this 
the CR movement has the answers where none of these other groups... And, and let's be specific where the answers are. The answer is in answer, the law of God. The answer is in the law of God. The answer is also in community. Mm. God works in covenantal communities. You don't have a covenantal community, community through the internet. Bill, you and I are sitting here in my living room. It happens in community. Discipleship. And it happens with families. You have your family out and you're teaching and training your three-year-old. We're going to pick green beans until this row is finished. You can play, you know, you're not going to plop down and, and sit there with an iPad at the end of the row. No, you're going you're gonna to harvest the green beans and you're going to eat a few as you pick or strawberries or, or apples or whatever it is. Um, that type of covenant community, multiple generations working together, um, in a sense, living together, that it's been our experience. The greatest growth comes when Christians are close together, rubbing elbows. They're in each other's armpits. They're getting angry. They're learning how to resolve conflict biblically. And you are mentoring one-on-one or in small groups. It does seem to me that there's something very rich to be gained from interaction with animals. And even plants. Because you it, you can't... You know, we, we homeschooled our children from when they were quite young through high school, primarily due to economics. Both of my children, once they were adults, they moved on because there was not enough income to support more than one family. And my son would wanted to find a wife and start a family. Um, so he actually moved up to Wisconsin to be ne- near a larger farm. It's just going to increase. And one of the things, uh, unfortunately, um, one of my farm heroes is Joel Salatin. And I've learned a lot from him and I respect him greatly. At the same time, I've seen six or seven families who read his books. I read his books. I think I have all of his books. Uh, They followed the books. And I know, you know, I bought the tractor from a family who followed the book, implemented it. And over the course of about seven or eight years, they lost a quarter million dollars. And the sons wanted to grow up and find a wife and start a family. And they were working 80, 90 hours a week, uh, you know, averaging probably $1.50 an hour. And they ended up liquidating everything and moving out of state. So this is where I think... uh, That makes me wonder, is it more really more economically viable rather than to try to run a farm to do this? is to simply train Christian families and more specifically congregations to begin to act like a Christian social order. People, that's the solution. People are afraid of the word commune. 
that it's that's got some weird connotations and baggage. But the fact of the matter is, is that uh, when the chips are down, if you can't depend upon the body of believers that you're affiliated with, what good are they? Exactly. I mean, the last couple times, the one of the last times I I, I preached uh, in a church. Um, I spoke on uh, Acts 2, 42 to 47. And, you know, the one comment was, oh, you're one of those communists. And I had to laugh. It's like you have no idea if there's, if there's, if there's a, a person who hated – I doubt there's a person out there in my county who hates communism because I lived uh, in the shadow of it for, for two and a half years. Uh, but the problem is – There are not a lot of good, solid Christian communities. The exception, the the one that I am thrilled about that I've just really began learning about less than a year ago is what Tim Yarbrough is doing in his county. Last fall, Carol and I stopped and spent time with he and his wife and, and saw and heard what they're doing, how they're transforming the culture <coughs> With a faith that's for all life. We had hoped to do that here, but it is so foreign to the average Christian out there that they throw around language like you're some radical. uh, Makes me laugh when I think about, uh, in fact, I had a chance to speak with Tim this morning and, and he was talking about localism and his unwillingness to get involved in some of the online uh, pedantics and uh, intramural uh, snowball fighting on Facebook because he's got work to do locally. And for those of you who are familiar with Dr. Joel McDermott's book, Restoring America One County at a Time, well, the first county is where Tim Yarborough is. I think he's probably taken it and and, and actually trying to implement it. Uh, Localism is... Let, let, me, let me switch gears real quickly before we leave because we've only got a few minutes left and I want to keep this under an hour and, and we'll edit it down. But tell me about your fellowship now. I'm just curious. This is a sort of an aside. I may end up editing out. But what is your uh, – tell me about your Christian fellowship here in the Clarksville area. Um, we're grieved. Um, we're part of a uh, – 201-year-old um, Baptist church. We were attending a uh, um, Reformed Presbyterian General Assembly church about 40 minutes away for about uh, six and a half years. And the Lord really put it on our hearts to find a church in our community. So this is a little country church three miles up the road. You know, the original building was a log cabin with gun ports to keep the Indians at bay. And it was a tight community because they had to be or they'd be picked off one by one. And they had to work together. Today, um, some of the challenges that we have is probably 40% of the congregation is on some sort of government subsidies, primarily your big ag farm subsidies. And so you have very conservative uh, political Christians who rail at me for wanting to talk about the poor and the widows, 
but you go online and you can see the tens of thousands of dollars a year that they're pulling down. You've heard of walking pneumonia. That's walking schizophrenia. Right. And so, but there's no, there is no faith for all of life. And so they've compartmentalized things and they justify actions that are contrary to the Christian life. Have you been able to uh, expose, I'm obviously a prophet is without honor in his own home. And sometimes they say that uh, if you want your people to believe something, you have to get a stranger to tell them. Have you been able to uh, expose any of them to uh, any literature that would help to Um, introduce them or bring them along, baby steps? Earlier this week, um, I met after lunch with one of our county commissioners, and I'm going to give him uh, a copy, and once he, uh, one county at a time. And he is a, a Christian. He homeschools his family. Um, not reformed, um, but one of the things that that did come out of my I was with him for an hour and a half. What came out is he confessed. I know God has the answers to fix the issues in our county, but I don't know what they are. And so you know. And so I'm encouraged, I'm encouraged that uh, there's people starting to listen. I've actually had uh, more people become quite angry with me. Um, you know, we have a, a school district that's basically bankrupt and going to a four-day uh, a week school in the fall. And I mentioned out loud um, that maybe it's time to close the school and to set up private Christian schools or homeschool. And so the, the root issue is a theological issue. We find the answers in God's word. And that's why I have great hope, even in the midst of our difficult situation here on the farm, with our business being closed, I'm still hopeful and we're trusting God to raise up faithful covenant communities. And I do not believe that you can successfully homestead without a solid, like-minded community that will, will provide a division of labor. You're going to need midwives. You're going to need somebody... Who has the skills butchering, uh, suturing up Johnny's forehead. And, and, so you and need an, a community. And an even greater challenge for Christian Reconstructionists. You need to be able to get along with one another. <laughs> Amen. Amen. I, here's an example. Sometimes you can learn from mistakes. This was a mistake, uh, different theological framework, but this is what happened in, in Romania while we were living there. We found out that in 1990, shortly after um, communism collapsed, um, who was the founder of uh, Liberty University? 
Jerry Falwell. Falwell. Falwell went to Romania and met with the Baptist leaders. And he said, give us your top 20 students, Christian students. We're going to bring them to the U.S. We're going to give them a free education. And they're going to go back. And they are going to be the change agents for the future of a godly Romania. So after four years, how many... Didn't want to go back to Romania. How many of those students, out of 20, how many of the students went back? Zero. Correct. Zero. And most of those students, by the time they got jobs, they then funded their families. Now, some people who were part of the leadership, as we were preparing to leave Romania in, I guess, 96, uh, came to us and begged us, would we sponsor their son to come to the U.S.? And get an American education. And we told him, no, you need to remain faithful here where God has placed you. And within six months, he's in the U.S. And I get a Facebook request. Well, not Facebook, uh, an email. And then, uh, I don't know, a couple years ago, I get a uh, Facebook request from his father who also begged us to uh, support him. To come to the U.S. He's now in Texas. And so there's been this huge brain drain. Because they didn't have the, the word of God for all of life. Definitely check out Vesterbrook Farms on Facebook. Also pray for Mike and Carol and uh, their future. And future of their, their work here. They have some challenges. Also, check out the documentary, BeyondOffGrid.com. There you go. And think about what it means to be covenantally faithful. That means to be in, position yourself to provide for the needs of your family. Think about your locale. Think about your body and imagine the, the local ecclesia, the local franchise, church, if you will, that you belong to and compare it, imagine it, what changes would have to be, would have to be implemented for it to become a social order or a small microcosm of society. Ask yourself, does my church look more like a country club? Does it look like, you know, a boot camp or a farm? Does it look more like a cruise ship or does it look like a battleship? Start thinking in terms of finding and reaching out to and asking God to send you like-minded families that you can begin to discuss these things with and put together a plan. And, uh, and, and regardless of whether we're facing an imminent end-of-life experience as we know it or just life uh, going on as normal uh, for the church, for the body of Christ to begin to take dominion and to exercise real influence and be an agent of change in America rather than just a voting block to be manipulated. It's going to have to take on this mindset, this identity. They're going to need to see themselves as a ready and equipped uh, battle group that is able to survive come what may 
and we're going to wrap it up, and we're going to say good evening to Mike and Carol Bravo here from Vesterbrook Farms, and thank you for joining us on The War Room. Thank you for joining us in The War Room. Please enjoy The Nation's Rage, Psalm 2, by my soul among lions. Reconstructionist Radio Podcast Network brings to you a complete lineup of podcasts where you will hear practical and tactical theology. Our desire is not simply that you consume our shows, but that you also live out your faith in every area of life. We can talk all day long about these things, but if we fail to put them into practice, then we fail as ambassadors of Jesus Christ, our King. Subscribe now to your favorite Reconstructionist Radio Podcast Network shows. Or you can subscribe to the Reconstructionist Radio Master Feed, where all of the content we produce, including the audiobooks and audio articles, will pop up as soon as they are available. And don't forget to visit ReconstructionistRadio.com to volunteer as a narrator or to partner with this ministry financially. May the Holy Spirit stir you into action for Christ and His kingdom.